Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. I'm your host, Ben James, and today we're joined by a very, very special guest. We're joined by Geraint Davis. You may recognise him if you are on social media. He's the man breaking down rugby like few others can, whether that's on YouTube or, or Twitter or on seemingly any number of podcasts a minute. Um, Geraint, how, how are you doing? Yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah, uh, pleasure to be speaking about some positive examples of Welsh rugby. So, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a happy man at the minute. It's a, it's a far cry from the autumn, isn't it? It is most definitely. I was uh, I, I was pretty nervous leading towards the the Ireland match, and then uh, probably even more so before the Scotland game. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's nice seeing a couple of W's on the board, and while there's maybe some other factors in there too, it's, <laughs> I'm uh, still pretty happy with the wins. Exactly, that's the thing, isn't it? It's um... I suppose if it was a, if it was a sort of teacher's report, it would uh, it would you know be still plenty to improve on. You know, the two two wins. I mean, incredibly on on for a triple ground and maybe something else that could that could come after that. We're not going to mention it, but um, and yet yeah, there, there feels like there's a lot of facets of the game to improve on. But I suppose, as I said, from the autumn, it feels like it's a far cry from you, you're starting to see the sort of the the bearing of, of certain things sort of coming to, to, to fruition. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. I think um, I mean a lot of people, including me, were very frustrated in the autumn, um, and indeed after the uh, the renewed Six Nations games last time round, frustrated that we weren't we weren't really seeing anything. We weren't seeing any of the features that we were really quite proud of previously. Kind of defensive intensity, real integrity, um, and a desperation to get the ball back. We, we didn't see that in defence, um, and then an attack uh, while. I suppose Warren Ball was uh, maybe didn't go down so well in lots of corners. Uh, it was it was really effective. Um, so going away from that to a style which seemed to just not match anything that we that we'd seen for the best part of ten years was uh, was probably t- quite tough going. But um, I thought against Ireland and against Scotland there was some clear progress. Um, not not just yeah, not just on the scoreboard. It's obviously, it's easy to to get your viewpoint tainted slightly when when your team wins but yeah i thought the the intent to play and the and the awareness of what they're trying to achieve is definitely better cuz i think i think last year obviously it was it wasn't easy given everything that went on with coronavirus but it just felt like wales had moved away from such a clear game plan into a game plan that it felt like every facet of the game they tried to complicate things to the point where if everything came off, it would be the perfect game plan. But <laughs> realistically, that's just not going to happen, is it? You felt, you know, you look at the attack, obviously, Stephen wants to work on what Rob Howley had. Uh, the forwards, um, Jonathan Humphreys basically came in and wanted to sort of complicate the line out. You saw Tiprick working as a midfield playmaker, Falatau as a scrum half, all these, you know, they, they consistently went to the tail. Mm-hmm. Um, Defence, Byron Hayward completely wanted to change or evolve what Sean Edwards had done, sort of make it the onus on players making decisions in split seconds rather than what was basically a strict policy mm-hmm. from Sean Edwards. It's all these things where you're trying to build on top of what was there, but pragmatically it just didn't seem to work, did it, throughout the whole of last year? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, use a word you use in there about evolve um, and evolution make, makes sense. Revolution rarely makes sense in a in a rugby context, at, at least. So, And that's what it felt like with the defence. So I felt that Byron Hayward had come in, he wanted to put his own stamp on it, wanted to make it uh, make it his own. Um, and that that high octane line speed where you you take time away from opponents, you could argue, but at the same time, you, you actually make your opponent's lives easier because you, you, if you're going to chase as a single one, 
then you know high quality players can just hold their feet slightly and put and put people away, which is we just saw repeatedly. Um, and, and it seemed it, it looked easy for the opposition to make decisions, and that's because largely we were making the decisions for them by just leaving horrendous space in the field. Um, I think if Gethinjink has achieved anything, it is he's brought back, but pretty much what we what we're good at, which is working as units, getting off the line and pressing hard, but then holding our feet pre-contact, which um, which definitely went in the autumn, um, or the first part of it at least. So, yeah, def- definitely improvement. Um, and I think the I mean the the attack side of it is clear that Stephen Jones wants a what's a second playmaker balance. Um, which against Ireland I, I really enjoyed. I mean, I, I haven't spoken about it much, but I thought um, I thought Lee Halfpenny's role against Ireland was was a massive step forwards for us, and I, I'm really keen to see more of it. The challenge comes is when Lee Halfpenny's not in the field, <laughs> who's gonna who's gonna perform that role? But I, I thought that's the best we've looked in in some time. I thought um, in some of the attack phases. Because going back to the defence, I think if you. <laughs> It was almost like a different problem every week. You know, you think back to the Ireland game, the first one in the Six Nations, and it was just seemed to be a large problem with just spacing and positioning. You were getting a lot of back situated uh, around the ruck and, and forwards were, were, for some reason, out wide. And it just was a complete mess. And that resulted in basically George North covering half the pitch. Then you think the France game in the autumn and you had sort of way, you know, under Gatland and, and Sean Edwards, you'd have Gareth Davis spot blitzing out of a, a defence, but the defence would always join up behind him, so there's no dog leg. Mm-hmm. You had Reese Ware basically unsure of what his inside and outside man were doing, so he's basically blitzing very wide, almost in the 13 channel, and, mm-hmm. and then just France cutting you apart that way. It just seemed to be a different problem every time. As you mentioned, you know, Gethin Jenkins mm-hmm. has almost just simplified things again, and even against Ireland, you know, we made 240 tackles, but it wasn't, it, it almost felt quite passive the way they defended. It wasn't, it didn't feel like in your face, high octane blitz. It was just, we know what Ireland are going to do. We're just going to soak it up and go through phases. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you, you, know, you go back to the, the Welsh defence that we've been proud of for a very long time, you know, it, it prides itself on energy, prides itself on just, just making tackles. Um, and, I, and I thought that, I thought we saw that against Ireland. Um, a defence that don't mind making 240 tackles that actually that, that's, that's no issue it's just it's part and parcel of uh, of what they're doing and it looked very normal to them which um, obviously you don't really want to be doing that week in week out it doesn't it doesn't do much good for your for your squad going forwards um, but as a as an example of what what they could do by just holding some kind of rigidity um, I mean, some of the issues are still there I mean it's not uh, Let's not forget that it's far from perfect, and some of the overfolding to the blind side, which was pretty bad in the autumn, that's still present. Um, we're still putting one or two players too many around the corner, and then again picked off, which was attack patterns. That's what they're trying to achieve. They, they want they want an attack to over uh, defense rather to overfold, and when then they're picking up on bigger space sins. And actually, Scotland's uh, Stuart Hogshaw was was exactly that. Um, you just had so much space to run at, and guys having to while it was a missed tackle, you could argue um, the space that we're trying to cover as individual tacklers is is bigger because of some of the decisions at wreck. Well, I, I try to remember what um, Ireland's try was like. Was that a case of overfolding, or was because effectively it was a case of basically Sexton giving a bit of a <laughs> a, a hopeful ball to, to Henshaw, who then just sort of darted back beyond the ruck, and and suddenly. Wales had sort of pushed out very sort of strongly on the open side, you know, basically just 
making sex and make a decision. But I think yeah. the other side, uh, sort of the blind side of the ruck, just wasn't really there. And I think that's one of the few times that Wales didn't look so comfortable in defence in mm-hmm. that island game. I thought on the most part, they looked relatively comfortable in what they wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, I think um, anytime you've played in that kind of middle, in the middle part of the pitch, I think we press quite nice and we, we connect. I think Faletau finds himself there a lot. Tipperick is, tends to be paired up with Faletau quite a lot defensively. And they, I mean, they work wonderfully together. I mean, uh, Alimin Jones, his his tackle um, quality, not, not just the number of tackles, but the tackle quality has been outstanding. But definitely on that short side, I mean, there's a, I think where we're too keen to fold and get into the next phase. And then when the ball is played back across, we're getting caught, which I think um, moving towards kind of next fixture, that that's definitely something that uh, that needs some work as, as well as the, I mean, the space ins, um, the Darcy Graham try when Ali, Ali Price uh, chipped over, and that was a quality bit of skill, but he, the line break that led to it came from very, very wide space. It's Finn Russell takes the gap, uh, two players pins her in and then gives it a nice little offload away. Um, that space isn't there if, I, if our space ins are better. What I really liked about that try was the fact that Graham came through the pod of three. Yeah. Which was just a really nice touch to sort of just, just sell it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'd love to know the answer, but I'm I'm almost convinced that the forwards had no idea that was coming. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, and if, <laughs> if backs uh, followed true to form, then they, they definitely don't want to be telling the forwards things like that, keep that a secret. Um, and, and I think that was part of his success, actually. Um, the, the, the line break initially, quick setup. Um, we got you know nice nice ball to the left hand side. Ferguson clears the ruck legally on that occasion, and then when they when they then came to Ali Price then putting the ball over, they were fully set as a, as a forward pack, um, and that was I think that's what actually allowed the the try to be scored. That it, it looked like just a normal normal hit, which uh, I'm almost certain the forwards thought it was. <laughs> you know, it's a good sort of chip and chase try where you're absolutely convinced it's offside <laughs> as I was <laughs> yeah. in real time I thought there's no way he could have got to that with so much time unless he was offside it's a really and, and, and he wasn't yeah um, I suppose the other thing with the defence which again sort of fell under Byron's remit and under Sam Warburton's remit while he was in Wales camp was the attitude towards the breakdown because so much mm-hmm. had been made about you know the success of the Scarlets was effectively built on transition ball and turnover ball and attacking from that. Um, of course, Wales don't have a tyke burn, which as, well as, mm-hmm. as we're sort of seeing in the first two weekends of the Six Nations is a, is a massive shame. But how, how do you feel they've sort of adjusted their attitudes towards the breakdown? Because last year at times it felt a bit scattergun when under Sean Edwards and Gatland, they were so careful with how they used their breakdown bullets. Yeah, yeah, I think um, the I think the tendency to want want to over compete uh, was was probably there previously. Um, so it was either not compete or put three or four players in, which which was was, was happened repeatedly uh, in the Autumn Nations Cup. Um, and obviously, as soon as the opposition do get possession, which they were almost exclusively, um, we were we were struggling defensively. Um, and I think. That that previously was better, and you know, when when Sam Warburton was actually playing, uh, I thought we were pretty good at making good decisions there, um, and then competing with one or two players. I think we've gone back to that now, um, and I think that's that's where we were at the weekend. We, we probably sacrifice a little bit of um, kind of buying time at the ruck area because when we maybe don't we don't compete as heavily as as uh, as, as we might. Um, 
but players like Win Jones, I mean, he's been he's been outstanding in the Brighton. I think he's been a he's been a right pain in there. He get gets in and, and wants to at least slow possession down. Um, so yeah, a lot more. It felt a lot more pragmatic. But then the issue with that is you allow your opposition to play multiple phases, which we saw with Ireland, of course. Um, they just able to play phase at the phase to phase because we we're not not committing as many, um, which. I, I'm I, I probably prefer that way around to be honest because uh, you know a penalty is a penalty penalty is a killer um, and I think if we with the current state of the game more competition at ruck tends to lead to more penalties against the defensive team so we've got a little bit of control there I saw that against Ireland there was um, a fair few occasions where someone like Josh Navidi or, or George North it was their tackle choice that really sort of was important, you know, right? They, they sort of held the tackler up, and that in turn, you know, just just as getting over the ball can slow a ruck down, just you know, so does holding someone up in the tackle, absolutely. And that's that's where someone like Josh Navidi, I think, makes really good decisions. But then I felt as the game went on a little bit, maybe Wales sort of got a bit worried, maybe towards that this, this the latter part of the first half. You saw maybe someone like George North who would actually made a lot of good tackle choices, then start looking for the jackal. I think he conceded a couple of penalties from that. So I think maybe there's yeah. still a bit of edginess maybe about they're probably not really sure, sure of how, how much they want to back their defence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's a tough decision to make as a, as a defender. Isn't it? As, you know, with the coaching team, what they won't want to do is put any kind of set policies in place, like no-compete no policies in there. They can be really, really destructive to your ability to, to mix it up with the defence. You know, if, if you're going to be kind of building your reputation as a defence and putting an opposition off isn't just about line speed. It, it's about every fight, making sure your opposition, are, are, I've, got a, I've got a struggle. Um, so if you don't compete at all, it just, it, it, it allows your opposition to, to relax. It allows them to get into their flow when you, and you just can't do that. So I thought George North in fairness, I mean, I think the second one, he got penalised when he went, went through the middle. I thought it was, it was a tough penalty, to be honest. Um, I thought there was uh, one or two holding on, which I thought were quite tough as well. Um, but you you got to have it, and and sometimes you you will you will sacrifice the chance of a penalty sometimes because you you've got to mix it up a bit. And, um, and it was actually quite nice seeing George off. Uh, I, I thought he was outstanding at thirteen, by the way, uh, as an aside. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> and I don't see that again. Um, but it's actually quite nice to see that if they can attack his channel then you know they've got a they've got to resource their wreck which makes everybody else's job easier so. no absolutely and um I guess we'll move on to the attack then we said you know I think the expectation was Stephen Jones was going to come in and bring this this scarlet style of play um that's that's not exactly happened has it <laughs> it wasn't wasn't always easy watching last year but what, what have you made of it so far in the Six Nations, I suppose the one one thing you can say is it's clinical. Yeah, I mean, twenty two entries are not uh, are not particularly high, but you know we had the equal amount as, as Scotland at six twenty two entries, uh, like like Scotland did last weekend. And what's what's definitely noticeable is playing around the, around the fifty or around the halfway. Um, previously, we were looking at box kicking uh, off an edge there. Um, Box kicks have have dropped. They plummeted. I mean, last weekend Scotland put four box kicks up. Wales put three box kicks up. Uh, last weekend so we're seeing a, a huge change there, just in terms of kind of intent to try and manipulate the backfield a bit. Um, so he's yeah, d- definitely more more multi phase around the middle of the field, um, and then looking to get into the attacking half, and then looking at 
using crossfield kicks or using crossfield bombs and kick throughs little chips over the top um or simply just playing for a penalty i think i mean i probably can't i can't overstate really how uh, how important penalties are to a performance of a team um, and it's not the number of penalties it's where you win your penalties so you, you can win 20 penalties and lose a game but if you're winning penalties around the halfway line it's free access you've got a potential long shot if you're if you're kicker is is on song or you've got free entries at 22 um, and, and get in that as part of your game which we had against Ireland but then lost the lineouts um, and obviously that, that put us under some pressure um, Scotland's their discipline was actually actually pretty good but it got us the access points that we needed and, and the tries that we scored were from those access points which came from penalties Absolutely um, in terms of the sort of the setup of the attack. What have you made of it? I, th- I find it sort of interesting to see much has been made about, you know, when Callum Sheedy came on and replaced Dan Bigger and just the sort of slight variations you see. It feels like Dan doesn't tend to sort of play behind screen passes as much as maybe Callum does in, in the setup. And I think, I feel like when, when Dan has at times, they haven't quite looked as, as natural. It's the forwards aren't always on the same wavelength as him when it comes to sort of the pullback passes. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. Um, I mean, he, he doesn't take a he doesn't take a huge amount of the back. Um, but what he what he does do, you know, his cross field bombs are you know they're they're pretty outstanding. Um, and I think he sees he's got quite a wide field of vision. Uh, and it's it's nice seeing looking at different options. Nice little cross field to Rizamet on the halfway line um, last weekend, which you know a lot of, a lot of tenders just don't don't either don't see it or don't back themselves to do it under pressure. Um, so I think he does those things well. And then he like he works quite a nice link. Wheels have moved to a uh, first receiver relatively tight, and then hit in a couple of forwards, kind of in between that zone where where the middle pod would normally be. They're just a few meters tighter, and he, and he links those quite nicely. But you're, no, you're absolutely right. Being at the back of those guys, and then taking a taking a screen pass, less of it, and then Rashidi is just just sharp, isn't he? I mean, uh, that um, that centre zone of the field is that that's his zone. That's that he really controls controls that really nicely, um, and is he going to get his hands on the ball, which is which is pretty cool. Exactly. It's obviously, you know, the, the the try. I think it was Liam Williams's try. You know, basically. Not wanting the ball at first receiver, it hits Halaholo. Walking runs that line. He just comes behind and just, mm. just the way he sort of just buys that time for Resam to, to get through the gap was really nice. And then, even the work they did for Resam to winning try, you know, it's mm. basically hitting that, hitting the sort of pod outside you, and then the the, the decoy runner. They did it minutes before, I think, which mm. I think Walking made the half break, and then there was a couple of offloads. Yeah, yeah. it was vir- virtually the same pattern, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I think um, it, it suits his style of playing. Some of the, I mean, some of the subtleties in his play for that uh, Liam Williams try, smallest double double pump of the ball, little feint of the ball before then passing. It only has to offset a defender for a split second. Just hold their feet for a moment, and it, and it gives your teammate a little bit more space. And I think he does those things intuitively. He does them at speed. He does them under pressure, um, which uh, which is good to see. I mean, uh, I'm. Dan Bigger as a player, you know, I'm a, I'm definitely a Dan Bigger fan, and I think he, he brings loads. Um, but having somebody like Sheedy to give something different 
I thought that I thought that was that was really good. And actually, I don't think probably Pivak has got as much credit as he deserves for um, not only the timing of the some of the subs, but the quality of the of the subs that that he made. Um, as in the time uh, the, the people he's put on together. Um, when Holohola came on, um, I thought I thought he made a made, made a good impact, and uh, and he does things that are awkward. Like, even he went across field what 10, 15 meters for that um try, uh, which you know a lot of centres they they maybe would have been a bit more direct, but he's, he's just awkward to defend, um, which 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 makes him a real positive threat. So I thought they I thought they balanced off each other quite nicely. And the way Scotland was, you know, basically the edge was Chris Harris there, and and then Duane Van der Mer was covering the backfield. Mm-hmm. A lot of people would have just got around the edge of Chris Harris and just probably just sort of been blinded by the gap, and then mm-hmm. you're effectively cutting off the pass to Reece Samet because Duane Van der Mer fills the space, but mm-hmm. he's he's just gone straight to him, as he as you say, he's he's basically gone across field to 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 basically target Van der Merwe, which gives mm-hmm. Reece Samet the space to do what he did. Yeah, yeah, we talk about it a lot, um, particularly in coaching. Uh, the corner player, so the the corner is the the edge of the organised defence. Um, so whenever there's a break in the line, that's your corner, and the best players they they see that in an instant. I mean, he, I I've no doubt the Hololo has seen that before he's got the ball. So he's he's scanned, he receives possession, he knows where that point is, and he knows if he can engage the corner, then we're in, and and he doesn't. He doesn't get to the bite point either. It doesn't get to that point where like, he's under real pressure to pass. He gives a pass seemingly before he's committed a defender, but because he's at pace and because Rizamit's at pace, like that's that's the magic combination, and, and, he, and give him enough time rather than really kind of biting in and, and, and taking away uh, the opportunity to make a clean pass. Another thing I've sort of noticed with Dan Bigger uh, is something I didn't really notice in the autumn. But he seems to be the way the sort of the patterns are setting up now with there's they're looking for a lot more inside balls off bigger. Mm-hmm. And it's, it largely seems to be Falatau. And I noticed in the Island game, he, he tried an off uh, an inside ball to him. And I think Falatau made decent yardage. And then I saw, you know, you could see Dan Bigger sort of uh, giving him a few choice words afterwards down the other end of the pitch. And then they tried <laughs> another one, I think, early on mm-hmm. in their first attacking set against Scotland. That went to ha- uh, to floor. Um it's just interesting because obviously you think about how Wales lined up. You can't, you can't imagine that Falatau has really been doing too much carrying work in the centre of the field because at the start of the autumn, he was virtually stuck out in, in the wide channels, mm-hmm. which is it's a big compromise to, to what Pivak wanted to do, isn't it, in his pod formations. Mm-hmm. What, yeah. what, did, what have you made of how he sort of changed the pod formations? Because it, it did feel like a big compromise throughout the autumn where you think... Falatau was, you think that Scotland game, he was almost a passenger, wasn't he, in the wide channels? And then come the Italy game, him and Tiprick were literally working in tandem off virtually every phase. Yeah, I, I mean, that's uh, it's difficult as a coach. I mean, you're, you're under pressure and you want to do the uh, do what's do what's right, do what you believe in. Um, and sometimes maybe you just could admit that you haven't quite got it right. Um, and I think that's a that's a decent sign that Pivak is wanting to see progression. Eh? Um, and there's no, there's no doubt that Falatau was wasted where he was. I mean, the concept is is a good one. So having your big ball carriers, having your guys who can get you some go forwards, give them mismatches against smaller guys or wingers or your, your classic back forward type of mix. But it wasn't working because we certainly weren't getting the ball there. Um, 
what's hugely changed is the is where we're setting targets now. So we're setting if you split the field across zero, one touchline, zero, the other touchline, middle of the field being a 50. If aiming towards that 50 and then 40 or 60 at the side of that. So aiming towards that kind of mid-zone of the field gives us a lot more attacking opportunity off, off either side. And, and that's where we're seeing those inside balls come in. So hitting a 40, then seeing the, the defence are quite eager to kind of, they call it underfolding, where a defender presses on the ball. Another defender then kind of gets almost in behind him, ready for a jackal. And that's where that's why they're going for those inside balls because there's, there's a there's a little gap there, um, and if you can get a big guy like Falatau running at those spaces, then you know, potentially that could be really powerful. Um, and then again, I've seen Tipperick in the, the centre field and seen him with his hands on the ball and or playing scrum half off uh, off line outs, which uh, I actually really liked against Scotland. They, um, I don't know if many people have talked about it, but. Uh, he stood a, a scrum half off a line out. He then went to scrum half in the second phase uh, with Gareth Davis on the right side, which um, those kind of innovations, like more of that. I mean, the more of that, the, the better. I think uh, we, we'll start to see some fruit from that. I think he's taken it at first receiver a couple of times. I think he did it mm-hmm. once against Ireland. I can't quite remember where it was against Ireland and it worked well. And then obviously he took it centre field against Ireland through a missed pass to re-Samet. Mm-hmm. And another occasion, I think it was after the the bigger Falatau inside ball, he stepped in the first receiver, but the pass was just a little bit off. Mm-hmm. So Scotland were able to sort of push up on the outside, but you could see that they had the numbers. And it, you know, it's it's great when you've got an open side flanker who you can sort of trust to step in at first receiver and and, and sort of throw those sort of innovations mm-hmm. uh, around. The thing that sort of another thing that stopped Wales doing what they wanted to do in attack in the autumn was obviously the contact area. Mm-hmm. and their efficiency with that. How do you think they've Im- improved there? Or is it simply a case of they're just changing the target areas and, and that in itself brings less pressure onto to what they're doing at the breakdown? Um, yeah, well, it makes it two, really. Um, I think in the autumn, we were we were going for the heavy traffic zones and then hoping to get you know, your, your kind of your traditional go forward. So hitting your pod of nine, trying to get go forwards, and we were getting absolutely smashed. Um and we're getting smashed because teams are they just prepped for it. They're just too used to that. So we it, it was it felt quite naive, really. Um, so play off nine, try and get some go forwards, and then move the ball. But we were moving the ball without any go forwards. Um, whereas now it does seem that we've got a slightly better balance. I mean, clearly it's not it's not, it's not perfect, and we're probably not um, we're not gaining as much territory within those carries as, as we might be. Um, but it's, it's nice seeing. I say Lee Halfpenny stepping up as first receiver on one side, bigger on the other. Um, Sino and Watkins standing as a, as a receiver and just guys getting their hands on the ball. Um, that means you're not just playing off one single pivot, which is where we were, you know, just playing off, off bigger or whoever's a 10, having a couple of pivots to split the field and then attack, like look, look what's in front of you, attack the guys that were weakest. I think we're getting some decent pay from that. So I suppose that's always been the thing with Welsh rugby is, we don't naturally produce big ball carriers. So we've always got to find something a little bit outside the box to sort of get that gain line success. You know, you think back to two years ago, it was just a flurry of quick pick and goes that basically mm-hmm. dictated the, the sort of the gain line against England and Scotland at Murrayfield. And yeah, in the autumn, it just felt like it was pods of three. And I don't know whether it was confidence or, or just, you know, lack of results or lack of time in camp, but it, just the number of offloads and tip-on passes just completely sort of diminished throughout the year. And now mm-hmm. they're, they're back. I think Wales are now producing the second most offloads per carry. Mm-hmm. 
in the Six Nations and the most forwards per passes. Yeah, yeah, and we're also, what we're also seeing is other little innovations, which are they're really subtle, but seeing first and Bristol do this a lot. The Bristol talk about a second pass from from a whatever pod they're in, getting a second pass in. So rather than having a like your traditional group of three, they got a line of four forwards possibly or three forwards in a back on the on the corner. And then they, they want to move the ball across that line. It's not just a, your tip, but the tip plus one, one extra pass. Um, and we're starting to see that come into the international game. Um, it's, it's been in the club game, to be fair, for probably 18 months or, or, or even longer. But And more and more teams are doing it. The difficulty is is the pressure that you're under as a ball carrier. And you've got to, you've got to balance kind of error count versus challenge. But um, you know, we were we made a couple of errors against Scotland, a couple of errors against Ireland, trying it. But I'm, I'm all for, you know, let's try and push this style of rugby because I think we'll get some pay from it in the long term. Yeah, I seem to remember one of because um, I, I broke down George North's game at centre in Ireland, and it was I think there was one of those where it was Alan when Jones hit Tiprick. You just think that's a typical tip on mm. pass, and then he hit North. Yeah, I think I think the pass was just a little bit high. He sort of hit him sort of on the shoulder, goes loose. I think that led to then the, the clear out that Peter Armani got sent off for. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in some ways, in some ways, it probably benefited Wales. But if he if he catches that cleanly, you know. It's it's a clean break, or yeah. at the very least, it's it's a half break, and you know you're working then around the corner at a, a pace. Yeah, I just thought that was a really nice innovation. Also, it's just a great way to get George North. Definitely, I mean, get, getting these guys on the ball, it's it would be really naive to say that you know let's get them up as a as a receiver or let's just. Uh, Bigger hit him straight off ten. Defenses are just they're just too set for it. Um, but to, if you can put the defense under, under pressure and commit them to a zone, then we got a decent chance. Then the thing you need to get that to work is really high skill level, ultra high awareness. Well, the boys aren't, they don't develop that overnight. Um, and I'm and the thing I'm pleased with the pivot, he gets a lot of stick and he's definitely had a lot of stick um, behind closed doors from a lot of people. I'm sure. Um, but one thing he has done, as he's he's, he's clearly got a, he has got a vision. I mean, it wasn't clear to see in the autumn, but he's clearly got a vision of what he wants to achieve, and he's putting players in positions where they're able to try it, um, and then make some mistakes. And I'm I'm pretty glad he stuck with it, um, even though the line has probably had to adapt significantly. The yeah, lost the attack play, I think, has has been pretty cool to watch. Really. Yeah, just you know, you talk about you know players getting touches, and that's it's always been the thing that's frustrated me about the idea of moving George North to centre. Is the it almost becomes this fallacy that oh well, if if you move George North from wing to centre, he automatically gets more touches just because he's moved one position inwards. It's like you've got to you've got to earn those touches. You know, everyone says George North get more touches, he's going to be better. But it's like you you know you can you can have fifteen touches, but if you go him backwards each time, it's, it's pointless. And that's what pleased me about George playing against Ireland was. Virtually every touch he had, he was dictating contact and he was in a good position. Mm. You know, even even the try. I mean, the try on the face of it shouldn't really worked because he basically took it first receiver against a set defence, but he mm-hmm. isolated prop forward, yeah. stepped him, and, and and got the con. You know, got the forward momentum, and that's what's mm-hmm. pleasing to see. It's just how they're they're getting quality touches for their for their strike. Yeah, yeah. Sort well, of runners yeah. out wide. But the build up to that try again, I haven't really talked about that a great deal. But the build up to that try, like, it, it can't get enough credit for the small things that happened. So uh, George North reloads on the right hand side, sees he's got a forward in front of him as a crack, gets tackled, ball then played back inside. Navidi then is at the ruck area. He Navidi clears the ruck, 
gets back, picks the ball up and just chucks it away uh, to, uh, I think, probably one pass then out to George North. And without that little bit of kind of that extra little bit, you don't score those tries. Um, like just standard, we see some every now and then like wonderful first phase strike plays. But in in phase play, you need some some extra bit of spark. Um, and just how keen George North was to get his hands on the ball because he saw an opportunity, that's quality. That's a sign of a player who's, who's definitely looking, certainly, uh, more confident than, than he was previously. And also because Ireland are so sort of meticulous in how they number up than they in defence that mm-hmm. the fact that George North just got off the just got off the deck and is immediately in at first receive for the offload, it just catches them unawares, mm-hmm. and then suddenly you know James Lowe's gone from being numbered up on halfpenny to having a two on one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was. Um, I would say that rugby's not the numbers game. That's, what, <laughs> that's one of my one of my biggest uh, challenges. Rugby's not a numbers game. Rugby is an opportunity game. And um, and in that case, he's he just he's seen what's in front. He's seen a disorganised defence. He's seen a prop, and he's like, oh, do you know what? I'm going to have a crack at you. And that's 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 what you want from your players. Um, you you want them to feel confident to just get their hands on the ball and for everybody around them to feed off that. Um, so it was, uh, it was really pleased with him and it would be, well, I could, I would love to see Foxy back. Um, if, if he wasn't, my next choice right now would actually be North at, at, four, at 13. Or... Yeah, no, definitely. Um, obviously an area that you've mentioned has been a problem for <laughs> the last year or so is the line out. Um, although when was it, when was it ever not really a problem? In Welsh rugby, it seems to fluctuate between brilliant and, and awful. I seem to remember 2019, we had the worst line out in the Six Nations and won a Grand Slam off it. Yeah, it's a yeah, solid stats then. I actually remember the pain of some of those. But um, yeah, I think uh, obviously big adaptation against Scotland through to the front, predominantly against Scotland. Um, so Scotland, uh, with a similar number of line notes, but we, we didn't lose line notes because we, we didn't give opposition opportunity to to really really challenge them. Um, there might have been one at the back that we uh, that we through overthrew actually there was one of the back we overthrew um we look at the Ken Owens pass, uh, throw in on that one uh, it wasn't his fault but it was the lift um it was it's interesting to then see them throw into the front and then some of the some of the attack play off it which actually Italy have been using really well Italy have been going to the front repeatedly but then using it as a as part of their play which uh, France indeed scored from uh, from one against Ireland at the weekend um so it was it was nice seeing Wales kind of forced to go to the front but then seeing it as an opportunity as well, and then some cool attack play off it. Because that was a thing last year. It felt like it was boom or bust, didn't it? Like if Wales are going to do all these innovations of you know Falatau or Tipperick being midfield playmakers or or being scrum halves, they have to go to the tail. I remember Ireland mm-hmm. were just <laughs> sort of playing with us in Dublin mm-hmm. in in the autumn, where they basically just stacked the back of the, the tail of the line out. They had a pod yeah. with Omani, a pod with Tyke Byrne, and they're like, "You've lost enough line out today." If you want to chance your hand and go to the back, that's fine. But we've got two pods it, or you can just take the safe ball at the front. And I don't know whether it's admirable or not that <laughs> Wales went to the back and, and ended up losing it. Yeah, yeah. But I guess crazy, isn't it? But you know, front uh, front line no ball is the is one of the big trends of the game at the minute. Um, not uh, not because teams have been forced to. While you could argue Wales didn't really need to, but it is it is a huge ta- uh, tactical uh, ploy at the minute, um, which is is producing some decent rugby from it too. So that's the thing. It, it it almost felt last year like it was being treated like it it had to be a compromise between you either win the ball, but the first phase is going to be quite static, or you go for broke to to get that 
mm-hmm. momentum, but I guess that's just not the case, is it? No, no. Um, you know, scrum halves like their their passes uh, in the modern day uh, they have been for years, but uh, like scrum half passes are are outrageous. They're, they're incredibly good at the top level. Um, so you know, Steve Arney, uh for, for Italy the other weekend firing 25, 30 meter passes. Uh, Thomas Williams passes excellent. So Gareth Davis's pass and obviously Reece Webb if you if you get to see him. Um <laughs> those guys their their passes are they are incredible. So them getting the ball at the front of the line now versus six or seven metres back, it makes no difference to them. The, the, the pass is absolutely on the, on the buzzer, as well as being to just engage the back of the line out. So we're seeing a lot of six plus one drives. Um or five plus one drives. So we're seeing teams setting up with that that formation. A couple of times they'll, they'll, they will catch and drive. And then the next time they'll it'll look like a drive, they'll draw the forwards in and then they'll create a bit of a space at the hinge, which um, say uh, France scored against Ireland at the weekend um, from a from a trick player on there, just with DuPont at the front and then Jolly Bear sort of first receiver. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's, it's a pretty cool innovation and it's good to see Wales jumping on the bandwagon with it. Absolutely. Um, I feel like everyone's had their say on what was going wrong with the line out for the most part of last year. And, you know, it's, it's very easy just to sort of place the blame on the hooker in it. Um, but what, what would you sort of pinpoint as what was, was going wrong? I mean, movement across the ground is not it really wasn't very good, um, which is which is probably a function of the line now changing quite a lot, and the obviously the the, the setup changed, the spacings changed, some of the dummy ploys changed. Um, Where's an overthrow on the weekend um, against Scotland? Um, and, you know, for me, Ken's throw was absolutely on the on the buzzer. Um, the lift and jump were were, were off. And then the line was lost, so I, there's still an issue there. Um, and they, they actually didn't throw to, throw to the four or six again in the game. They threw to two every other every other line out. Um, so I think I think it's movement across the ground. I think it's the assurance of what they're doing. Um, I mean, obviously, it's very different doing it in training versus versus in competition. You've got a lot of those players who maybe aren't playing a huge amount of rugby. Um, you know, they're not they're not they're doing a huge amount in their regions. Um, and then coming into the national game and. Just it, it probably felt more complicated than it need needed to be in the autumn, um, and now definitely you know, going in the right direction. But I still think there's there's movement across the ground issues, the spacings, timing in the lift, communication between the jumper and the thrower. I, I still th- I still think that's that's got some way to go. I can't quite remember specifics, but it just there seems to be a few occasions where you, even sort of you know people who aren't lifting or aren't being lifted it's, it's the way they're facing as well I think there was one example against Ireland where you had it could have been maybe Tiprick was going up for it at the, at the front or maybe at the tail and then whoever was at the front is just facing the island yeah. pack which is such a simple tell isn't it Massively, massively. Yeah, no. I mean, the the ones against Ireland, the, uh, the real frustration there was just how easily Ireland were able to read it. I mean, there was there's probably two or three who has gone to four or six, and literally their, their pod is set. We've shown loads of movement in the line out, and then we go up where they're set. And like, I mean, that that's that's not ideal. And what um, what I, what I would hope that we do is that we. Uh, we have a bit more willingness to just just throw where you can win the line out. I mean, like ID line up ball, back ball definitely has benefits, middle ball has benefits, front has benefits. 
possession. I mean, I always say it all the time. Line out is a is a is a possession tool. Um, so if you're not getting possession from it as your primary function, then it's you know it's not it's not doing what it needs to do. So sacrifice whatever else you got planned, change what you got planned to just make sure that you win the ball. Yeah, especially when transition ball is such a commodity in modern rugby. That's just gifting yeah. transition ball, isn't it? Yeah, turnover from line out. I mean, that's your turnover from line out is, is arguably the best place to get, to, uh, or the worst place rather, to get turned over, best place for the team to get the ball. Um, you know, scrum, you can you can probably adapt from scrum fairly easily with only a five-meter gap and you know, limited numbers on feet. With a line out, you've got 15 guys up on feet, you get turned over, your opposition are in a decent position. They're over game line immediately, and that's the that's the killer with it. And the guys in the line, they're going to retreat. And so, yeah, it's, a, it's not the place to lose possession. I'm Sam Warburton, and you're listening to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Obviously, despite all these sort of things to work on that we've mentioned, um, we are heading for a triple crown clash against England. Um, not not sort of the swaggering, confident England we might have expected, considering that they're Six Nations champions and also Autumn Nations Cup champions, whatever that means. But it's not been a vintage Six Nations so far. Obviously, the Calcutta Cup defeat, mm-hmm. very toothless. And then Italy, they, they showed some nice stuff out wide, but there's, there's still... A few flaws in the game. What, what what are you expecting to see from this Eddie Jones team that comes to Cardiff? Yeah, I mean they've they, they've gone down a particular route, haven't they? And they've they committed wholeheartedly to this this kick game um, of limited phases. Just just kick the ball, uh, pretty much. Um, but they, no, there is there's more to it than just kick the ball. But it's, there's there's lots of lots of variations on the kick. Um, the game against Italy the weekend in. Uh, in reality, I thought they were they were underwhelming for the majority. I mean, there was elements of their play and some of their phase play patterns were actually really interesting. Um, and I was, I was quite intrigued by some of their um, some of their play off the touchline, their uh, willingness to get the ball to some of the quicker guys really quickly and then get it to shape from it. Um, but I think you know Scotland, England. I mean, uh, that that was a that was a pretty good example of uh, how we team stop another team from being able to do anything they want to do. So challenge the breakdown, sew the ball down as much as possible, get up on their feet, and then just put repeated defensive pressure. Um, and England just they just never didn't have a response to it. They, they didn't have um, didn't have any change to the tactics. Uh, some of the longer kick in, which obviously didn't give uh, Hogg the opportunity for some of his uh, ridiculously good clearance kicks. They didn't. They didn't seem to have a second option. Um, and then against Italy, it felt like they wanted to play with more ball in hand. But nothing. I mean, nothing that set the world alight. Really, um, there was. If everything feels quite uh, like extremely pragmatic, um, and then so then moving on to Wales, I, I'm going to expect them to want to accept like, a bit of a physical stall out against Wales, um, which you know, it's Wales England to start with. Uh, that that, <laughs> that probably leads it, but I'm expecting a, them to want to physically dominate any of the situations where they possibly can. So. Heavy carriers back to back to the traditional England style. I would I'm, I'm anticipating. I honestly don't think they'll want to kick the ball to us as much as they've as much as they did against Scotland. I just think they'll they won't want to give us free possession quite as often. That's interesting. Cause I remember it feels like the exact same conversations that we were having two years ago. I remember going into the break weekend of before the Wales England game 
2019 and all it was talking about was was England's kicking game and, and here we are again sort of talking about it but I've seen a few sort of people I think Charlie Morgan spoke about in Telegraph feels like England are just about to sort of rip up potentially the game plan you know Eddie Jones has talked about wanting to, to work on the attack after the Lions and it feels like you mentioned sort of a couple of sort of neat patterns it, it looks like they've potentially changed their their forward pods system just to, mm-hmm. just a touch which it feels like Billy Vunapola's influence isn't quite what it was in this Six Nations. And I don't know whether that's sort of premeditating why they've changed the pods or if the pods is influencing that or, or they feel they need to get some other different purchase from their forwards. But yeah. it'd be interesting to see because, you know, you think back to when they implemented this kicking game mm-hmm. back in 2018. I think they lost about five in the row just to sort of for Eddie Jones to rip it up and, and sort of start anew. Oh, guys, you know Eddie Jones is uh, he's an interesting character, isn't he? He's, um, his you know, things he, in reality, things he says in the press. I I've got a theory that about ninety, probably ninety eight percent of what he says to the press is just not true, um, and he just <laughs> yeah. likes saying stuff. Um, yeah, as is he not playing with the attacking game? It's not possible because you have an attack and a defense all the time, so you, like, it's just not possible. Um, so have have they altered their their attack? Definitely, um, but they you your manners of numerical stuff chucked out when it comes to attacking frameworks. But um, no, they're, they're quite clearly playing with more like a one three two two than than we would have probably seen previously. Um, and some of the video stuff we've done this week has, has just broken down some of their changes. They move up and down the field. So, like, are they a one three two two team? But no, they're not. There's also this thing they they alter depending on where they are in the field. Um, but they got more more willingness, I think, to want to carry fairly fairly heavily in the centre centre of the field. Um, with and they, they got some of the bigger ball carriers. So we've seen a Torje out there quite a lot, with a Polar, as I say, out, out there quite a bit. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm expecting them to. I am expecting an evolution of what they've done so far. Rip it up. Uh, probably can't see that. Um, <laughs> yeah, an evolution, but not a revolution. You mentioned you sort of expect them to, to come at Wales physically. I mean, we sort of got that in the autumn, didn't we? And I think we were, maybe it was just because of how the autumn went, but it felt like everyone was caught off guard at how Wales sort of managed to just about match them physically. I remember, you know, Johnny Williams mm-hmm. did a good job of marshalling Billy Vunapolo, and maybe it was just the, the sort of dampened expectations of the autumn. But I think a lot of people were surprised that the Wales were able to physically go toe-to-toe with, with England and, and look defensively sound. And I know England passed up a lot of opportunities in that game, which sort of sums up where they are in terms of where they are, you know, the clinical nature. But could you, how, 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 what do you see Wales doing this time round? Can they be willing to, to, to really go into the 200s in the tackles again? No, I think we need to. Um, I think um, I think that's the that's probably the reality what, what we're facing. I mean, yeah, this this England squad it, it's a strong it's a strong strong squad. I mean, we it probably don't get a huge amount of credit uh, because obviously they, you know they lost lost against Scotland and then under odd against uh, against Italy. Um, and nobody likes to see him kicking the ball constantly. Um, so they don't get a huge amount of credit, but they they're a, they're a solid team. Um, and I think players like uh, like Henry Slade, he's outstanding. Um, so I expect them to want to 
bring the real physical edge. Do I think Wales can cope with it? Like hundred um, percent. Wales, Wales, I think have proven uh, some of the outstanding individuals in there. Be you know guys even Jim Bothan coming on against uh, against Scotland. Like what what a physical presence. Um, and we, I, I think uh, we we've got the potential to to shock there. Um, to really up our game on another level in terms of the physicality, and at that point, that's when England will be rocked. If we can, if we can go meet them, meet them past the game line, get those kind of players. You know, your your, your tip breaks. Alimin Jones has said he's been outstanding in in the contact area. Win Jones has been contacted, uh, outstanding in the contact area. Get them making offensive tackles, and you know, it'd be interesting to see how England adapt to that. And then conversely, on the other side of the ball, how do you see us? going at the, the England defence. I remember two years ago, obviously, England were sort of u- utilising that sort of whip blitz that sort of mm-hmm. really pushed up out and started from the, the ruck and, and then pushed out as it further went up. And, you know, we, we sort of took that apart like no other team had sort of managed to in the first two rounds mm-hmm. with the sort of the constant pick and goes. What, what do you sort of see us throwing at England potentially this time round to, to catch them off guard? Yeah, I think um, I think Wales have learnt that against those kind of teams, you can't be playing off off a first receiver. Against those teams in phase play, it just we got when we played at Piper Scarlet in the uh, in the autumn, just got smashed and smashed repeatedly, and just stuck with it. Playing under the blitz is a is a far more sensible and pragmatic approach. Um, but you've got to get go forwards there, which is the challenge. So those pick and goes. I, I definitely definitely see us utilizing some of that, and then using the blind side. I mean, the the blind side is a, a sometimes seems like an untapped resource. And um, what we saw with New Zealand uh, against Australia and the Tri Nations, uh, sixty six minutes they, they they took to cross the middle of the field in phase play. Um, so they they just constantly played back. And why do they do that? Because of the press and. I think teams have learned from that. Um, and I, I would hope to see Wales using more of the blind side, more kind of zigzag type plays and I say playing underneath and then using crossfields, which you know, Bigger's exceptional at. Callum Sheedy, he's got a you know, outrageous crossfield as well. Um, and then Rizamit is great in the air. Jaws North is great in the air. Um, so those those kind of players, um, giving them opportunity to crossfield into space, you know, that, that, I think we'd, we'd get some pay from that. Yeah, interestingly, uh, in the warm-up against Ireland, they were sort of running plays where Rhys Samet sat in midfield for, for North to chase kicks out on the wings. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see if they, they sort of pursue that again in the Six Nations. Um, I guess the greatest battle that you always have as a coach is sort of choosing which holes to sort of plug in the weeks in between games. You know, you could... I think the analogy that always gets thrown out is it's like a ship, isn't it? You, you know, you can sort of choose to plug one hole, but the, the odds are that another one will pop up the next mm-hmm. week. What, what do you think, from what we've seen in the first two rounds, what do you think that Wales will be focusing on in, in these two weeks to improve? I think there'll be there'll be more focus on on the breakdown area. I think Wales will see the breakdown area as as pivotal against England. Obviously, with um, you've got some quality jack jacklers in there, so I think. Um, being really offensive in our carries, pairing up in our, in our carries. We probably don't see as many latch carries from Wales because we carry a bit wider. If we're going to carry cross, we, we've got the latch carry and we've got to get go forwards. So I expect um, some of those kind of call face type sessions uh, where boys have just got to, have just got to graft uh, and get, get some go forwards tight, tight into the space. Management of the backfield. Obviously we, we've been exposed a little bit with some of our width in the backfield. They may even be you know, maybe maybe looking at slightly more depth for their uh, with their back two, uh, which creates other problems obviously. But um, I think uh, 
just covering that space slightly more efficiently um, and just making sure that our, our, our attack plays, that we've got enough variety. Um, a good play off a line, I've done SBU's once, but it could be a game winner. So um, I, I would hope they got, they got a couple of tricks up their sleeve ready to go. And even though you don't potentially see England kicking too much, do you think they could be tempted just from what they saw from Wales's kick defence at Murrayfield? Oh, they'll definitely kick. I mean, they'll they'll definitely kick more than any other team. (laughs) They'll still still kick the ball. Um, I just think that they will... uh, They'll be very mindful of just how set Wales would be for kick return. Um, And I think... uh, I think the volume of kick that we've seen from them would be would be less, but yeah, they, I mean, they'd be silly not to. I mean, the, the back the thirty-two backfields are primed for centre field kicks, um, and they use that really well in the autumn. I would I would anticipate seeing that again. Um, Wills in the backfield, obviously Hogg, uh, when he was getting the ball in the centre field, he could whack it eighty metres up the field. Wills don't really have that, so you know maybe they'd be a bit more prepared to to do that um, and, and to. Kind of, Hedge their bets almost that they're going to get a more like a you know, 50 60 meter kick return, uh, which you know might, might be counter attack ball. It does feel like maybe Wales just lack a slight bit of difference, uh, a distance in the kicking game, which seems to sometimes affect them when it does sort of descend into that kick tennis. It just feels like they're, they're potentially losing five, ten meters mm-hmm. a kick. Yeah, yeah, it's worth its weight in gold, isn't it? I mean, the, the reason Dan Bigger goes for lots of these, or lots of reasons, but one of the reasons would be that you know, the distance on his kick isn't huge, but he's incredibly good at you no know, high kick and chase or crossfield bombs, very accurate, but hasn't got the distance to kick mass- massive distance at the field. Uh, Harpen is got a booming right boot, but you know, he's, he's probably in his own there. Liam Williams, is, you know, he's, he's, not a, he's not a great kicker of the ball. One of the reasons he, he's a very, very good runner is probably because he chooses to run more than he, more than he kicks. So, you know, that's 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 part of it. And then the Rizamit has he's actually got a a pretty big kick, Rizamit, to be fair to him. But um you know, young lad, it'll that'll they'll get better over time. But otherwise there's no there's no huge difference in that back line really. Absolutely. Um I think that just about covers it off. Um Geraint, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure having you uh, on the podcast and uh, I encourage all the listeners to, to check out your stuff on uh, Twitter, on YouTube, and, and wherever else you can find it. Um, and yeah, I hope you uh, enjoy the match, and hopefully it plays out something a little bit like what we've uh, said it will. As long as it's a, long, a win by half a point would be just fine. I, long, I don't really mind how the game goes, to be honest. <laughs> as long as you win, I'd be happy, man. <laughs> we didn't even mention the red cards. <laughs> no, no, it's definitely safer not to. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Red, red card, triple crown is probably on the cards, isn't it? Oh, I, I, yeah, I'm all over it. If we can get two or three, ideally, that would <laughs> make the job easier. Oh, fantastic. Well, brilliant. Thanks for joining us, Kevin. Pleasure. Thank you for having me on.